Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Policy Matters podcast. We have been dormant for quite a while, and we are excited to be back in 2022. To that end, we're also very excited to have our wonderful colleague and someone who has been as steeped in the COVID pandemic and the reactions to the same as I have, Andre Hishamunda from our Atlanta office, home of the CDC, so that tracks as well. Andre, could you briefly introduce yourself? I will. Thank you, Scott, for having me. As Scott said, my name is Honore Hishamunda. I'm a labor and employment attorney in Typhart's Atlanta office. I've been practicing for about 10 years and have really dug in on liability shields. Yeah, it's funny you say that. Honore and I, uh, we had lots of discussions in the middle of 2020 and kind of the beginning of 2021 when the topic of liability shields was particularly hot, which actually kind of pulls me right into the introduction that I had planned, which is the COVID loop that we seem to be on in which we can't get out of the same issues plaguing us time and time again. And one of those issues is liability shields. And we're back in the loop wherein we are looking for something external to support businesses that we don't currently have enough of. And also a lot of those liability shields are about to expire. So when I mentioned the COVID loop, once again, we see some businesses clamoring for extensions, some not clamoring for extensions. But where that goes, we don't really know because the litigation that was expected to come of the COVID pandemic just hasn't really materialized. So indeed, I think that often liability shields are indicative of where we are in the pandemic. The fact that we're still talking about these liability shields is just underscores that here we are still in the midst of something that we can't seem to get out of it. I remember in 2020, when CARES Act was being passed, the FFCRA was being passed. So a lot of folks like, where is the support for businesses? Look at the U.S. Chamber of Commerce was clamoring, please, Congress, do something. But it just obviously it could do a ton of uh, appropriation and an infusion of money to help businesses on that end. But it wasn't doing anything to help on the sort of liability side of things, either in the workers comp space or in the general liability space. So what happened is what always happens in our federalist government. States stepped in. They passed liability shields through executive orders. Some were legislative. Some were very broad. Indeed, the liability shield that South Dakota passed made it almost impossible to sue a business for COVID contraction. Some were more limited, like Vermont's, which basically just only applied to healthcare workers. No matter the form, though, at its basic element, they all kind of were seeking to do the same thing. That's increasing the burden of proof for plaintiffs or persons, employees who contracted COVID-19 and now want to sue their employer. So it's not necessarily the topic of this podcast, but we should note that some states went the other way on their liability sort of legislation and issued executive orders, some legislation, some public health orders. They did the opposite, right? It created a rebuttal presumption that if someone contracted COVID-19, then they contracted it at work. Right. So where we are now on array is, are these going to be extended? Are they necessary? And how are we going to go forward with this type of legislation in the future? I would like to get your word on array on if I missed anything and that probably too lengthy of an introduction. 
No, no, you covered it all, right? It was very much states stepping in almost piecemeal at the outset of the pandemic to ease fears that businesses had about reopening, both for their own customers, but also for their own employees as well. And you hit on just the broad range of shields that are out there. The one that sticks out to me, in addition to South Dakota, is Tennessee, where you have to have a verified statement from a doctor stating that your injury was caused by being in this particular area, right? And now we're getting to a point where a lot of the initial shields are expiring or have expired. And if Tennessee it weren't for is one of those states, right? Yeah, Tennessee is coming up in, I think, July of 2022. But Ohio has already expired. South Carolina has already expired. And what's tricky there is some of these states had shields expiring at the end of the public health emergency, as declared by governors. Right. And that just, as you know, just depends wildly on where you are. Well, it's interesting, too, because some of those governors who were big proponents of liability shields are now basically in charge of when those liability shields are either going to end or keep going because they control the state of the emergency. Yeah, it it really is something where you have to keep track of it. it. It's not something that's being publicized a lot by state legislatures to the extent that they actually do have that control to extend it. But sometimes it's just being done by an executive order extending the public health emergency in whatever state you happen to be in or operate in. Yeah, I I think it's interesting point that you raised just now, Honoré, and that was, you know, making businesses feel safe about reopening, right? Because that kind of ties into a topic that you and I have discussed, which is sort of the, I guess you would call relative dearth of litigation over COVID-19. But just having those liability shields in place gave certain businesses, you know, comfort and stability and reopening in support of our economy, essentially, right? I mean, so we haven't seen the litigation that we thought we would see, but we do know that the liability shields have helped it just in general business operations. Do you think we're going to see more of that? We're, we're more of the liability shields as businesses continue to open more? I think what we'll end up seeing is the same set of states that have already passed these liability shields, keeping them in place by extending them, right? I think we're at a point two years, three years in where we know what states are going to do to fight COVID-19 and to ease businesses' fears. And and there's quite a lot of states that already have these liability shields. I, I wouldn't expect to see more liability shields. I would see extensions coming. And, you know, I've also seen in South Carolina, for example, there's pending legislation not to extend the liability shield, which has already expired, but pending legislation for the existing claims that are covered by the shield to ferret out what gross negligence means. So businesses can have an idea of what their standard of care is. So tweaks like that at the margin, I think, are going to be increasingly common as well. So do you think like in South Dakota, we might see a loosening of the standard where in other places we might see the standard go up to sort of get to a more sort of level playing field of liability shield? That's right. That's right. I, I think more than anything, the shields provide certainty. Right. And so if you know what that standard is, it's more important than, you know, falling short of the standard. It's what is expected of me as a business as I reopen. Yeah, it's like because, you know, on a daily basis, as you and I as labor and employment attorneys know that businesses are faced with cost benefit calculuses every single day, every time they do anything. So just 
taking out liability from that cost benefit analysis makes it easier for the businesses on that front, which makes it easier for the economy in general to grow as well. So it's super interesting. If you were a betting man, all right, do you think that all of the shields that are going to be extended? I have learned a long time ago not to bet or else you'll be <laughs> left without it. Uh, I, I would, yes, I would say that they are. But having said that, there have been some surprising results. For example, in Florida, there's a pending uh, piece of legislation that's been passed by the Senate, but not the House, that was closely passed to extend the liability shield, but only for healthcare workers. Yeah. And uh, healthcare facilities. And it passed by an extremely narrow margin that was almost all on party lines. Whereas in other states, I believe in Idaho, they had a measure that just passed, I think, January 19th. Every single senator voted for it, and there was barely debate about it. And if you had asked me beforehand, I would have said Florida, of course, would have extended theirs for everyone easily. Easily. As a labor and employment attorney whose main focus is on legislation, I cannot figure out what's going on in Florida. <laughs> if you figure it out, let me know. Because well, I, I'll, I thought I'll tell that, the CDC we money. can figure COVID out. <laughs> so I well, before we part, I just wanted to I know that, you know, I had to do a ton of research into off duty conduct and kind of what businesses could do uh, as far as telling employees what they can and can't do when they're not clocked in. A lot of that included what was permitted in 1918 when we were going through the same thing. I mean, I wonder, Honore, if you have any insight into, you know, similar lessons learned from 1918 that we've seen in the liability shields that have been passed currently? I've actually noticed that the liability shields that we have now are a lot more protective for businesses than in 1918. And that may be the result of a dearth of employment laws at the time, right? There really wasn't a lot of statutes out there designed to protect employees and, and geared towards compliance. I'm assuming OSHA did not exist at that time. Right. Exactly. So no OSHA, you know, you don't, you don't have Title VII, none, none of that kind of statutory or regulatory environment. Yeah. But they put for liability shields for people who are producing vaccines, distributing vaccines, and to the extent that employers required vaccines protections for them as well for anything that resulted from the vaccines, but not for general liability for exposure to COVID-19. And, and that, and was, that, that built, was a congressional act. That's right. That's right. Yeah, and, and so you know, we still Congress could do a lot more than that's right. That's right. <laughs> and, and they still do for a lot of even for COVID and for the flu. They've done that kind of liability shields. And in some instances, the federal government has stepped in and said, you can't sue those folks. You sue the federal government and then we'll turn around and sue those manufacturers or distributors to the extent that we feel like they've done something wrong. But like insurance. General, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. But this measure, I mean, these slate of measures, it, it's relatively novel. So interesting. I, well, I'm sure there will be more developments on this front. Here's the thing, Andre. We were talking beforehand that hopefully we don't ever have to talk about this again. But in case we do, I'm going to keep you on the hook and we would love to have you back. Hopefully we don't. But if we do, we would love to have you. I'd love to be here. I'll talk about the flu of 1918. <laughs> Hopefully, uh, we won't have to talk about COVID, but uh, right, it's well, been it's a pleasure. Been a pleasure, Honore. Thank you so much for joining, and thank you for listening to the Policy Matters podcast. As always, you can reach out to me or Honore or whoever your favorite Safe Farthian is. Talk to you all soon. Thank you.